We've got an interesting story about Vince Tyra, former UofL athletics director. That's next on the Access Louisville podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is David Mann, and joining me today are Joel Stinnett. Hello. Stephen Schmidt. Hello. And Shay Van Hoy. Hey, everybody. Access Louisville is a weekly podcast from Louisville Business First. Each week we bring you the latest news, along with plenty of sharp opinions about what's happening here in Louisville, Kentucky. It's been a few weeks. We had a couple of uh, uh, tradition shows that we did there with the, the predictions and stuff, so it's good to be back just talking about the news and the news this week, this story just kind of made me laugh, Joel. I don't know why. It's, it's not it's not funny. It's just kind of uh, poor Vince Tyra is caught in a crossfire uh, trying to get a and, uh, he just landed a new job and, and now he's getting some pushback. So let's talk about that. What happened? Yeah, Vince is caught in the crossfire, much like he was when he took over for Tom Jurich at UofL. He's just used to this, I guess. Yeah, it's, it seems to follow him around. Um, he was named uh, CEO of Gildan, which is a, a clothing company people are probably familiar with, make T-shirts mostly, I believe. Um, and he's set to take over in February, but and he's taking over for a CEO that was ousted by the company's board of directors. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this CEO and some of the shareholders that I, I, I guess he has connections to are now trying to push back on the board of directors, um, saying that he was basically removed um, – not legally. Mm-hmm. Um, the board, so they've sent out this series of letters to shareholders trying to rally support. As of this point, um, the main uh, the main shareholders pushing back is Browning West, and they've basically uh, cobbled together a group of shareholders that own about 35% of the company to push back. They've sent about four letters to different shareholders, to shareholders over the last few months, mm-hmm. um, wanting to reinstate him as CEO. And now they're trying to basically reconstitute uh, the board yeah. with eight new members uh, to be able to not only push out Vince, who they call his credentials weak, but also reinstate the uh, former CEO whose family founded the company. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, they're basically, um, you know, it's it, this kind of reminds me of something you'd see on Succession or something. Where yeah. they're, you know, they're pulling together the shareholders and, and trying to uh, trying to, you know, reconstitute the board and that sort of thing. So yeah. or, or uh or what Bevan did with the UFL board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's analogy. Pretty, maybe a closer analogy. And and all this, you know, Gildan is a Montreal based company. Yes. It's not a local company. It's just interesting here locally because it's a, a local guy, Vince Tyra, that's kind of caught in this crossfire. They haven't said much about Vince, but like you said, they called his credentials weak. Um, but Vince, you know, he was the former athletic director at UofL, but that wasn't like his first job or anything. He's had some other jobs since then. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think he even worked in the clothing industry before too, right? Yeah, no, he was the president of uh, Fruit of the Loom for many years. And, um, from what I've read, um, when he was president, the CEO of Fruit of the Loom was, was basically ousted and, uh, uh, Tyra is kind of credited for coming up with a plan to, basically rebuild the company and get it back on solid financial footing and was eventually sold. Yeah. You don't see a lot of public company drama like this, but when it does happen, um, it's it's kind of fun because it plays out in a very public way like this. And normally public companies are very buttoned down. Uh, they, uh, they, you know, they take care of a lot of stuff 
you know, kind of behind closed doors. But then when they when they get into a knockdown drag out like this, uh, you see a lot of filings and, and open letters and stuff like that. It kind of makes it fun just for us to cover. Uh, I, it, the only thing I can think of that, that it reminds me of is uh, there was a one time a, a potential hostile takeover of Kindred Healthcare here in Louisville. I can't remember who the acquirer was, but uh, it became a uh, it became a pretty uh, exciting thing to watch. Of course, Kindred eventually did get purchased um, and uh, and is, it no longer exists in that form that it did back then. It's now part of Scion Health, but. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, interesting to see these uh, see these public company fights dra- uh, dragged out like this. Um, Joel, speaking of sports, and uh, that's a weak segue there because because uh, <laughs> Vince Tyra was a former athletic director. Uh, but uh, moving on to another story here, you just did a story about Sports Illustrated, and they've signed a new deal with Churchill Downs. Yeah, um, so. Uh, this cl- new club is going to be part of uh, Churchill Downs' new $200 million renovation of the paddock area. Um, and originally this was going to be planned as the 1895 club, mm-hmm. but now Churchill Downs has purchased the naming rights to it. And it sounds like it's going to be pretty cool. It's going to um, be decorated with a lot of uh, you know Sports Illustrated covers mm-hmm. around, the, uh, around the club. Uh, there's going to be celebrity ambassadors on, on Derby Week that I guess that will be uh, making sure everybody has a good time. Um, and there's going to be a uh, executive chef that has a supposedly a luxury buffet that's set out for the for yeah. guests, and it's going to be open on some of the major days that the track is open. But it'll have views of the paddock area, um, uh, as well as private betting machines, and uh, views of the races as well. Yeah, and uh, Steve, we were talking about this just before the podcast started, but Sports Illustrated still a name in the industry, but it's not the huge name it was maybe uh, you know for the last several decades yeah I, w- I would agree with that um full disclosure i was an intern at sports, sports illustrated kids uh 13 years ago which is hard to believe but i'm um, back a whole kid ago <laughs> <laughs> that's right the kids are uh, and i was one of the older i was one of the older interns because it was i was a i was in a, a grad student and um yeah i was actually one of the the older the older uh of of the uh, the interns, but that we we were on the I think the 29th floor of the Time Life Building, and uh, since then I think in 2018, Time was sold to Meredith, and then they moved to another they moved down to Lower Manhattan uh, down to like where one of the the big tall buildings uh, for uh, where the World Trade Center was one of those buildings. Anyway, long story short, things I think it still has a lot of clout um, with a certain age range, like like kind of my dad's age range, I would say, but I would say that the, the, um, there's, it's not, it's not the same glimmer if that makes, if that makes sense. Oh, but yeah. I still think that people, people in the sports world, when you say SI, I think they know what it, that is. Um, but I don't think, I, you know, I remember when they used to have a, um, it was a weekly paper, a weekly, uh, publication and then went down to monthly. And then I kind of got out of the game. Uh, I, I'd stopped subscribing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that there's still that brand recognition, though. I think that's still very strong, and this is a good, this is a good move uh, for for Churchill Downs. But I, I don't think it's it's the same conversation we were having if it was like you know 15 years ago. Yeah, and I think it's just emblematic of the way journalism's changed. You know, I mean, Time Magazine and uh, you know a lot of the big name legacy type magazines, Newsweek or or any of those, they just don't carry the same clout because there's so many competitors. 
on the internet. Question not on the script. I'll throw it at Shay. Uh, whoa. Um, uh, what do you think is like the preeminent name in like sports coverage these days? Is it the athletic or, uh, I mean, I subscribe to the athletic, uh, mainly because they, um, you know, the teams that I follow, uh, maybe not, you know, three sixty five twenty four seven, but they have a beat writer yeah. dedicated to the, like I'm a Houston Astros fan and a former Houston Chronicle reporter who's really good covers the Astros for them. And, um, for a while they had an IU beat reporter. I don't think they do anymore. IU basketball, but, uh, so yeah, I, I think, um, you know, but then they've, they went through a round of layoffs too. They laid off a bunch of people. It's just really tough. Um, you know, I, I was kind of talking about this the other day, how much baseball is my favorite sport, but how much I really like MLB network because they really just stick to highlights and like talking at a normal level about, mm-hmm. about baseball versus <laughs> like ESPN's just become like a cesspool mainly. And it's like, if you want to see highlights, you know, you might catch some on sports center, uh, but it's mainly just people yelling at each other for, you know, 18 hours of the 24 hours of the day. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think you just kind of have to piecemeal it together. Like my, my main source of IU basketball news is inside the hall, which is a blog that's run by Rick Bozich's mm-hmm. son, uh, Alex. They do a great job of covering it and it's, you can pay for like upgraded access, but I just read the basics. They have a game story. They preview the game. So, uh, I mean, that's where I just, you kind of have to piecemeal it now. To yeah. me, I think depending yeah. on what sport and what team. Yeah, for sure. I um I kind of the same way. I'm, I'm more of a casual sports fan than than in probably any of you guys, but uh you know it's just kind of read a story here, catch a catch a Rick Bozich uh, thing on WDRB there. You know, I mean it's kind of like just like uh you know finding finding whatever. Well, yeah, and, and print it. You know, it's changed so much for like big newspaper like just using the courier journal here i mean their deadlines are their print deadlines are so early mm-hmm. that they can't it's not really their control they don't print here anymore you know they're printed in i think indianapolis but you know so you can't get a game you can't get a night game story in the next day's right. paper um you have to go online for that and you know some people don't don't like that so um you know outside forces any i think even their you know their news deadlines in the middle of the afternoon so yeah uh, it's just changed because of of consolidating printers you know they used to print here and now they don't I'll uh, give a big nod to Netflix because some of their sports docu series are like really great. So yeah, that's kind of the way I like, you know, a Sports Illustrated would do a deep dive on something. Well, now it's Netflix doing a deep dive on something. So yeah, yeah the I thirty for thirty series too. Yeah, is awesome. yeah thirty yeah. for thirty. I just th- watched the Reggie White one yeah, the other day, which is really great. good. Yeah. yeah, I never even know if they're like new or not, and sometimes I forget that I've watched them and just it's like behind the music, too. but for uh, sports. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I would say what what Shay was saying. I'd say the Athletic is probably the biggest national. I mean, I I have the Athletic app, and it's always giving me updates on things. I think it's. And that was started by uh, former writers from Sports Illustrated and ESPN, the magazine, and ESPN, and and a lot. So that that obviously they've experienced issues as well. But I feel like yeah, the Athletic is probably the biggest thing right now in the world of national sports media. Yeah. But what's and what's missing New- from that? Go. Oh yes, and then the New York Times bought them what yeah. last year or so. Yeah. What's missing to me is just I remember as a kid, just it was a big deal who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Right. I mean, and you remember those iconic covers, mm-hmm. some of the ones yeah. with Jordan or um, the Kentucky Shame cover, which probably won't be hiding, well, hanging up in <laughs> Churchill Downs, but um, just some of those the you know iconic covers, you don't get that anymore. What's the me. Kentucky Shame yeah. cover? Well, I don't know that one. That's uh, when, uh, uh, what's the, oh. the coach before Patino got in trouble for uh, buying recruits or something. 
Yeah, my wife uh, wanted me Billy, to give her all, all my. Billy G. Yeah, <laughs> not Billy G. Not Billy oh. Gillespie. The one oh. before Patino. Oh, before. Patino. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. But uh, oh yeah. Uh, well, I was gonna say that my wife wanted me to get rid of a lot of my old Sports Illustrateds, and I there were certain covers to your point that I just like. No, I have to keep. <laughs> I have to keep this because I just. I'll, I'll look back at this or like when my kids are old enough to look at this stuff, they'll be like, what is this? And there's still, I mean, there's still like, yeah, the sports illustrated cover, I think will always have a pull um, regardless of, of, you know, how, how we consume media. Yeah. I remember when, uh, you know, I grew up, in, grew up mainly in the eighties. And I remember when uh, Damon Bailey was on the cover as an eighth grader, I think uh, I was, Damon was two years older than me, but grew up in the same County I grew up in. So I like I remember that one, and then actually, Steve, you brought me when you were uh, divesting of your <laughs> yep. stash. You brought me an Astros uh, cover with Verlander and Garrett Cole on it from uh, from a few years ago. So. Yeah. Eddie Sutton, I think, was the coach. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Sutton, Sutton yeah. yes. Also, uh, uh, our publisher Lisa uh, uh, is that was uh, went to Oklahoma State, and Eddie Sutton coached yes. there too. So yeah, many um, many years. Well. We went way off script. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma State basketball. I did not on Access Louisville. Who knew? Yeah. Go Pokes. We, uh, what's up, Oklahoma? Uh, but anyway. Uh, if you're listening in Oklahoma, send us an well, email. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe, maybe Fred Minnick. I mean, he's he went to yeah, OSU Fred as Minnick, well. Yeah. So. Oh, shout out to Fred. If he's Speaking listening. of Fred Minnick, there's a funny Lisa. <laughs> there's a funny Lisa Benson Fred Minnick story out there. Uh, if yeah. anyone's never heard it, but I can't. I can't tell it here. It's not my story. So, um, what were you about to say? Oh, I was just going to bourbon transition. Bourbon. Oh yeah. Speaking of Fred Minnick. Sorry, I'm not the host, but I was, no, that was perfect. I wish I would have <laughs> thought of it. Um, yeah, bourbon. Uh, that's our next topic. Our next topic is bourbon. Fred Minnick is a bourbon guy. Um, that was way better than the sports one I did earlier. Um, <laughs> so, Steve, <laughs> you just finished up this story. Uh, it was it's, it's run online already, and then we did a print version of it that's coming out tomorrow. Um, but it's looking at uh, the you reached out to like a thousand people in the bourbon industry, I think, and they all got back to you <laughs> <laughs> uh, about what the future is for bourbon in 2024. So. Uh, what were a few uh, like predictions and things you heard about the industry that that you that kind of resonated with you? Yeah, yeah. So that was an interesting thing because I don't think we did this back. Obviously, I was still getting kind of figuring out the beat and everything in 2020. Uh, or because I, I I joined in October of 22, so I I had a full year under my belt to make connections in the industry, and I reached out to people who I'd done stories on or have had gotten information from, and I got like a 90, 80, 80 to 90 percent. Uh, return rate. Uh, so I guess this is kind of just downtime for the, I, I was always told that OND, October, November, uh, December, they're just kind of get, get prepping for next year, but it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a better time to get a hold of people to, um, you know, to talk to them about things. And, and the return rate on my email was testament to that. So the things that stood out to me were a couple things, one of which, um, uh, you know, I, we did the I did the uh, the cover story about um, the, the barrel shortage, and I think that that is going to be. We talked about the the um, uh, the rise of possible rise of a single malt American whiskey. Um, Jason Brauner had something that that stood out to me. He's the co-founder of Buzzard's Roost Sipping Whiskey. Uh, also, he's um, known as he's the owner of. One of the owners of Bourbon's Bistro, which was voted, I think, the best bourbon bar in the world by, 
Oh, I'm going to forget the name, but it's a London-based whiskey magazine. Um, he earned that accolade earlier this year. Anyway, um, he said, we will also see, I quote him, we will also see American whiskey getting more and more popular, especially because it can be made exceptionally well without the use of new oak. I think that without the use of new oak is going to be huge um, because that's, that's, so that's what out to me because that's something that I think is going to happen. So it's interesting to see him say that. The other thing is Mike Montgomery, uh, uh, vice president of a Coors Spirits Company and also a co-founder of Blue Run Spirits, who made big news in 2023 when they were acquired by uh, Molson Coors. Uh, and he said something that I never thought about, which is um, the fact that this is a election year. And he said, um, you know, during past presidential election cycles, whiskey fans really embraced the drinking better mindset, um, which has been a growing trend for the last several years. So I'm kind of curious when he's when he mentioned that I kind of got my wheels spinning and I'd be curious to see previous election cycles, how that affects uh, whiskey sales. Like, does it really bump up like in October right before early November? So I might chase that in 2024 um, because, yeah, I mean, there's the politics, politics and whiskey, something I never really thought about. But um, he kind of got my my mind turning in that direction. And then one last thing, Sam Lacey uh, from the Bardstown Capital Alliance. He talked about that you're going to see some tasting rooms in Bardstown in 2024, which we never really talk about. When we think of tasting rooms, we think of Louisville, and we think of people in Bardstown and other places trying to get those those people who are in Louisville to see their brands. We never think about going to Bardstown and having a tasting room and not just the distillery itself. So um, that's interesting, too. So I need to find out about that. I look forward to chasing those stories in the new year. Yeah, uh, Shay, same question to you. You read this for the first time as it was coming through in the print edition. So what stuck with you? Yeah, I think jumping off what Steve said about tasting rooms, um, it was funny. I saw uh, uh, actually um, uh, right before she left, Ellie, our, our uh, former reporter had a story about um, the quarter of Fifth and Market downtown Louisville being converted into um, a boutique hotel and with a sort of bourbon component on the front. And that seems to be like the plug and play thing now with a, with a downtown renovation, it's like Airbnb or hotel on top bourbon experience on the bottom. Um, there's buzzards roost. There's, uh, there's going to be a, a, a pursuit spirits, Barstown bourbon company, Barstown bourbon yeah, company. So all of those. Yeah. But anyway, someone, a Twitter person, Twitter, Joe, I don't know who it was said, you know, Oh, that's just what Louisville needs. Another boutique hotel and tasting room. Um, but I just think we're going to see more and more because of, you know, I guess they'd be like going to, uh, you know, do, are there too many wineries at Napa? I don't know if you, yeah. Been, yeah, are there really? I, I, when I went, I enjoyed it and I was glad there was a lot of wineries to choose from. So I think it's just more of a, like, if you're going to be a destination for bourbon, um, the more the merrier. And then of course the ones that aren't as good will get weeded out. But so I just think, you know, now that that cat's out of the bag with tasting rooms, we're just going to see more and more uh, companies either building off their current facility for that or like some of these are moving in from out of the state, you know, outside of the state uh, to open ones and in lo Louisville. Logstill's taking over the old Bear Nose spot right next to the Yum Center. So that'll hit huge yeah. traffic. Yeah. And it's also going to have a, a, a um, upscale restaurant, which is the first time you see an upscale restaurant with a tasting room. So, yeah, I, I think you're going to see at least three more announcements this year alone in downtown Louisville. And I think they're all going to have 
they have to figure out how to differentiate themselves, not just within the market themselves with the bottle, but how you're going to appeal to customers. Because with the Kentucky Hug, which is one of our startups to watch, um, you know, with that launching, there's going to be more and more people coming in through all these events. And so you're really going to have to figure out how to differentiate yourself in this market. And that goes to how you're going to uh, vie for people's time and attention uh, when they come into town. Yeah. And uh, a couple of thoughts I had, you know, for one, tourism and hotels and that sort of thing that is like the best performing sector like that's we had that um uh, end of the year ceo roundtable uh one of the things they talked about was when it comes to the lending you can't get uh loans you can't get good loans for uh office and you can get them a little for multifamily. But man, if you're building something related to tourism, <laughs> you can get something. So, uh, so that's why tourism's blowing up. And then another thing on the um, the uh, log still thing. I mean, that's a s- company probably not a lot of people know. Uh, you know, from Gethsemane, Kentucky, which is way down in Nelson County, a uh, very small town. But uh, but yeah, for something from Gethsemane to open up here, it kind of reminds me of the way like small banks open up in Louisville. They're like, we can get 1% of the Louisville market share. That's a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's what probably Logstill is doing as well. But um, All right. Anything else on that topic? Um, speaking of predictions, uh, I have a correction to make. <laughs> uh, and that's why I had Shay on the show this week. So last week we were going over predictions. And um, or it was two weeks ago we were going over predictions that we made for 2023 and Shea predicted that the Louisville Bats would have a winning season in 2023 and I incorrectly said that they didn't and I can explain myself I went to minor league baseball's website and I looked up the Louisville Bats record and for some reason I cannot explain this there's a toggle on the top and you can select whether you're looking at the first half of the season, the second half of the season, <laughs> or the whole season. Now, why this toggle exists is beyond me. But some nice listener pointed out that uh, I must have had that toggle on. And I was looking at the last half of the season, not the entire season. So I was wrong. The Louisville Bats did have a, a winning record in 2023. They did. They were 73-71, and 71, which was their first winning record in since like 2011. Yeah. I think so. Uh, barely over 500. They they were uh, a little bit farther over 500 than that. And then, um, and the reason I predicted that was uh, they had a lot of good young talent coming through, and uh, several of those players made a stop in Louisville and then went on to Cincinnati, yeah. uh, like Novelli Marte, who will not be back in Louisville probably ever again unless he's on a rehab. So or yeah. Matt McLean or uh, you know or or. Uh, or crew. So yeah. So great season for the bats. Um, looking forward to uh, the reds are still have a pretty good farm system. So hopefully um, it'll be another winning season this year. I think with that correction, you technically won the game, um, ah. but don't tell Michael. We'll just, <laughs> <laughs> we'll let, we'll let him have the, <laughs> we'll just let him think he have the glory. Unless he listens to this, then we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's only 40 some days till pitchers and catchers. Who's counting. <laughs> are you predicting oh, another man. winning season? Uh, you know what? I'll have to kind of see who's going to end up uh, there. Yeah, uh, they should be pretty good because they've got uh, their. They had a really high draft pick last year. I don't know if he'll make it to AAA, but he's a college pitcher. Um, and then uh, Cam Collier was their draft pick 
one of their top draft picks the year a couple years before that. He's a really good hitter. He'll probably be in Indy or probably be in Louisville this year at some point. Um, so they still have talent. So um, yeah, I wasn't on there. Sure, I'll go ahead and predict it. I wasn't on the prediction show, so I was like, I should wait and see, but I didn't have to wait and see last year. Yeah. I just made the call. Yeah, in, you just made January. the call. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> bats are going to have a, another winning season. Also, their first year under brand new ownership, um, they were purchased by. Uh, we might have talked about this on in the past, but um, uh, it was actually the the firm that owned it was out of New York. Another New York operation bought it, but this operation um, owns twenty some minor league teams across the country, including the Iowa Cubs um, and I believe the Memphis Redbirds. Um, now they own the Louisville Bats, um, but thankfully they kept all the local management in uh, intact. Greg Elliott, who's been there forty years, is. Uh, still the president, and so yeah. we always like working with him. He came on the podcast last year yeah. and talked about the season, so we'll probably have him on again. And you guys really nerded out on baseball. We did, so. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, yeah, so uh, so that's that. Um, I guess uh, that's where we'll wrap up the show, too. Um, so before we go, we will go around the room here, and you guys can share your social media handles. Let us know where you can find us on social media. Joel, I'll start with you. You can find me on LinkedIn under my name, Joel Stinnett, or on Twitter at jstinnettbiz. How about you, Steve? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at uh, slash spschmidt or on, uh, I guess it's X, right? On X at Steve. All right. Where can people find you? Um, it's my name everywhere, pretty much. LinkedIn, Twitter slash X, and um, I am on Blue Sky, which is... Uh, where a lot of people who have left Twitter have gone. It's a very similar look. Uh, you do have to have a code to to join. So if someone's really interested in joining Blue Sky, email me. Um, I have a few codes. So All right. uh, I feel like I'm like hoarding them or something. But uh, <laughs> really, I'm just lazy. See what you can get if you listen to the Access Level podcast. You can get a code to join Blue Sky. Um, all right. And you can find me on LinkedIn under my real name, David A. Mann. If you like this podcast, you can find it on popular podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Radio Public. Well, thank you very much, Joel. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Shay. And thank you guys for listening to us at home. We'll see you next time. Bye.